from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Earwicker. And today we have with us Pastor Bo Stern. Welcome, Bo. Hi, guys. It's good to be here. Now, fun fact, uh, Bo, this is our 20th year since you started being my youth pastor. That's funny. It feels like 200, but 20 is probably right. That's probably about right. Yeah. <laughs> Most people around me are like, it's only been that long. What are you getting long? after right now? <laughs> it's only been that long. We're going to just launch out this way. <laughs> First um, podcast question, Bo, how old are you really? That's what the people want to know. You taught a message this last week on emo- being emotionally healthy in marriage and singleness. And it has been, in my opinion, the most talked about message uh, since I've been here. A lot of opinions. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard the message, first of all, you got to stop this podcast. Go to westsidechurch.org. Watch the message. It's absolutely incredible. Um, But really, the second thing you should probably do is go to your Facebook page and read the thread (laughs) based on the questions that you ask people on Facebook. What was it like writing this message? Well, it was interesting, and I think since we talked behind the message in this conversation, in our speaking team meeting, when we were planning this message, it was interesting to me because the room was just me and and single men, and married men, mostly (laughs) me and married men, and I get those two mixed up so much, Um, But and the prevailing mindset when we started talking about it was really, isn't emotional health, emotional health, either direction, don't we just kind of, and it it occurred to me that since I've been single, I would have said that too five years ago, but now I see no emotional health is possible for both, but it is different. The way we build habits into our life to be healthy is different when you're single or married. And so writing it, I just kept trying to see from both perspectives, which is what I do every time I write a message. I have kind of people in the seats in mind. And I think, what kind of question will this answer for them? What might it provoke? What might offend them? What would offend them in a healthy way? Mm. And so that was this, of trying to trying to not just imagine the people in the seats, but also trying to help them understand one another from the single Mary perspective. Because yeah. once you're married a while, you really forget what it was like uh, living in that kind of loneliness and whatever accompanies each person's single journey is different. But I think you forget what that was. So like. was it, was it more difficult or was it helpful for you? We were laughing at Casey Parnell last week on this podcast. Cause I remember in teaching team, we were like, Oh, we're talking about social awareness. Casey's going to preach this one. He's perfect for this. And Casey was like, geez, no pressure. And then they're like, Oh, Bo's going to teach on being healthy in marriage or singleness, which is like, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of suiting you perfectly for where you're at in this life right right now. Did that make it easier or more difficult for you to talk about this subject matter? Well, I think, I think both. I felt, I felt really privileged to be able to, to teach this message and to see from both sides of the fence. It's just that there aren't two sides. There are a million sides and there are always going to be people who feel like you don't understand where I'm at. Single people who have never been married and are waiting and want to have a family and they feel the clock ticking and they're wondering, will it ever happen? And I think the dating culture is so, uh, tricky and difficult right now in a way that it wasn't when I just went to Bible college and they just paired us up and got us married. Kind of, it was super easy. Um, but well, that's I, what Bible college is for. Yeah, I've, right. heard I've heard and that. And I don't know if it's still like that anymore. Maybe someone who's in Bible college could let us know. But I, I, I just was worried that 
people, especially single people, would feel that I assumed I understood where they were at when really my experience isn't exactly like theirs. Um, but I do think there's a inside the church living as a single person and hearing the illustrations come off the platform that are predominantly toward married people and about things like mowing your lawn and paying the mortgage and things married people do. Um, I think that has been really has stuck out to me now in a way that it didn't before. And a lot of people would preach this message and say, I remember back when I was single. For mm-hmm. you, interesting that you can say, I remember back when I was married and now being single. What has surprised you about maybe your experience as a single now um, that is completely different than how you viewed singleness before you were married? If you can remember that far back. I know it's... That far back. <laughs> I would, Well, and it's funny because I had so little experience as a single person. I got married so early in life. I was 19. And so I really grew together with Steve and my my opinions and my decisions and my the way I fold the laundry, everything just kind of grew around Steve. And so for me, this era of single life has been sort of an unlearning of the thing. Not Nothing was, was bad that I learned, but it wasn't all me. And so I've had time to kind of figure out more who I am and how I function and what I really do want to do on sabbatical and what I really do want to do on vacation. And so some of those things have been really different for me. Whereas when I was single the first time, I couldn't wait to form my life to someone else's opinion and dream and right. career and all of that. And now I'm I'm just a lot more settled in who I am, I think. Mm-hmm. So are single people feeling frustrated or a little bit out of place in church, you think? Because a lot of the points that you made uh, convicted me as far as uh, being a married person who, who spends a lot of time with single people. And you, you talked about how married people go, oh my gosh, you know, it's so tough with the kids and I'm just exhausted all the time. And hey, what the heck? Why aren't you married yet? You know, what's your problem? Like I've totally been that guy with some of my friends and I started to feel terrible about it. And I started to look around the church and be like, man, are single people even really feeling as comfortable as they should be? Are they feeling as welcome as they should be in a church environment? Because that's a huge, important thing for the church to understand going forward, especially as the age of marriage is continually getting pushed back. What I think 28 is the average mm-hmm. age that that uh, that men get married now or something like that. It's either men or women, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so there's a lot more single people both. in the church. I guess. Yeah, something. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot more single people in the church, you can make the argument, than ever before. Are we creating an environment as a church where they can fit in, where they can worship well, where they can understand Jesus well under kind of the current format and culture that we have? Or, or do we hold marriage up as the ideal and yeah. the pinnacle? And yeah. you're somewhere on a path of getting married yeah. if you're single. Yeah, it depends on the church. It really does. We see churches out there that are doing good work at, at really welcoming single people, although I think those churches develop a culture around that. And so our tendency will always be to pick a side and and fall heavy on that side. And maybe we don't know we picked it, but we did. I would say single people do not feel as welcome in the church, and they do feel mm-hmm. a sense of shame often because they're not part of a couple. Even, you know, this whole, this whole, oh, this is a soapbox for me, but this whole idea recently of very wonderful, charming, handsome pastors standing in the pulpit and talking about their smoking hot wife. I get it. I get that that's 
that's a, a thing and we want to promote that marriage is wonderful and awesome. But there is a line that we cross as communicators where we make single people feel unworthy and unchosen by talking so much about our awesome relationships. And so I think that we just have to understand most pastors went to Bible college, married someone from Bible college. They have a different worldview, not just on single living, but also on married life yeah. than a lot of people in the church do. And while it's great that they're successful and 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 going well and that and they they want to they want to present a flourishing relationship i think it's important that they stay grounded in the reality of the relationships inside their congregation and outside where people don't know jesus so that we understand what life looks like when you haven't been raised straight through that way with a with a jesus worldview right and it can be just like you you know stand on a stage and you wouldn't brag about your car or your house. Exactly. Or, so why is it okay to say, but my life is all together in these ways. Yeah. Aren't right. you jealous? Is that really that different? Yeah, you know? it's true. And I mentioned it in this message, how I, I've heard a couple of pastors speak on Sabbath and I love the teaching on Sabbath, but they talk a lot about take this time to just be with your family and, and cut off social media and make love to your wife and all the good things. And as a single person, I'm going to listen to it thinking that sounds real lonely. That does not sound like the right kind of Sabbath for me. And I'm an introvert. So for me, I've got to stretch out a little more into bringing relationships into my life and I have to work hard at that. Or else I'll get I'll be crazy cat lady in like a hot second. I really truly will be me Every and a stack of Oswald Chambers just with my cats and Spurgeon. <laughs> They'd all be named things like Wesley. Theological hoarder. <laughs> sounds like a setup for a sitcom or something. I don't know. <laughs> Such a bad one. The TVN sitcom. Oh, okay. Well, that Let's up- get away from that. <laughs> no, I want to talk about more. That. I was going to say that brings up what kind of cats, you know, what color, <laughs> street cats, purebred. How much money are you willing to spend on these cats, Bo? Did I, I sent you a thing where it was a craft book on how to create crafts with cat hair. Oh. Yes, you did oh. say yeah. that. Yeah. It was horrifying. Evan sends the greatest, I most know. effective know. I know. During my Sabbath, I tend to research. <laughs> so good. But that brings up this whole idea of messaging, because you even talked about, you know, the pastor stands up there and takes a Sabbath and, you know, go make love to your wife and do all this stuff. Uh, there's some pastors out there that really need to hear that in my opinion, you know, where their marriage is at a position where they need to take a break and they do need to go make love with their wife and they need to do that stuff. And, you know, I think that message can be effective from the pulpit, but at the same time, not necessarily at the sacrifice of the other demographic who is single to, to just kind of leave them behind. And so it does create an interesting conversation for especially, you know, pastors of of that kind of messaging because marriages yeah. we want to talk about we want to talk about relationships they need to be healthy and we need to go out there and then i think about that single person who isn't just single and going gosh i want to get married someday they're yeah. single and they're going i'm fine <laughs> like whatever you know I, i'm not looking for a relationship maybe if it happens i'm fine but i'm not sitting there crying myself to sleep at night that i'm all by myself yeah and i think that there there's a pretty easy fix for it i i agree with you 100% but that's something i love about our teaching team structure is that we can look at a message and from my perspective as a woman and as a single woman i can look and say none of these illustrations resonate with me and from casey's perspective as a single never yet 
the married man, he can say, that doesn't resonate. So I think it's great for a married person to say those things about Sabbath or any other thing or about their hot wife, whatever, as long as we're preaching a balanced message that also brings in the other side. And that's where we get weird, I think, in the church is that we've got a lot of young married men pastoring churches and they it's it's hard to remember the whole worldview mm-hmm. it's hard to remember to bring people's perspective in and that's that's empathy yeah. that's the very definition of it probably the number one thing a communicator can ask the lord for is the gift of empathy to be able to present something that people know you understand their spot even if you don't share it yeah and does our does the church propagate more of the same. I mean, maybe everything does in society, but I, I feel like, especially in church, you know, who are the role models? Well, they're youngish, uh, you know, white, married guys that talk a certain way. And so then guys like me and Ben have that as a role model as pastors. So how do we break out of that and, you know, start seeing less homogenous preaching come from the church? Yeah. Well, one of the things we, we talk about a lot when we teach other uh, leadership teams, this idea of, of collaborative message building is even if you don't have this this money to have a staff where you can have a teaching team meeting every week and you've got all these different view- points of view involved in that, bring volunteers in or, or have some old guy that you run your notes through and some young single guy you run your notes through. Pastors owe it to their people to to know that they're preaching a message that applies to them, we've got to we've got to work harder at that in the church. It can't just come from this pers- this one perspective. And I think it's easier than we think. It, you don't have to have a whole big teaching team or a whole big staff. You can just bring people in who can give you an idea of what does this message resonate with you? Does it apply to your life and your family and your home and your Sabbath? And I, I think that if we just tried a little harder and took honest evaluation, mm-hmm. it, we, we could be more effective in communication. And I think it speaks to the entire idea of evangelism anyway, the mm-hmm. more that we talk about it, because that's essentially what evangelism is, right. is, is we're going out and we're saying, I don't just have community with my one barista and my wife and my kids and my two friends. If we're really talking about reaching the city and the community and effectively the world around us, we're talking about empathy. We're talking mm-hmm. about first just knowing that there are people out there that are not like you and then trying to have a greater understanding of what makes them tick, what they're feeling at the time. Yeah. Um, and so really... I think what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that a structure that allows more of those opinions to come in and really talk about the notes or talk about the vision of the church is a structure that will allow for more evangelistic culture to happen within the walls and outside of the walls of the church. Well, yeah, and it's the three-word communication strategy, know your audience, for goodness sake. And we do a bad job in the church thinking we know the audience, and we don't. And yeah. so I had people stand up this weekend who were married and single, and I was shocked that... A full third of of our congregation were single, and a lot of those are older singles who represent really difficult stories, difficult breakdowns in relationship. And I don't remember ever a message here at Westside on divorce recovery or uh, walking through the breakup of a relationship in a healthy way. And yet I heard from countless people this weekend who are in that very spot coming to the church for help and hope and wholeness. And so, again, not to criticize or to, to belabor the point, but when someone is sitting in our seats who just is in the middle of losing a relationship, hearing a pastor talk constantly about the, the awesomeness of his is not necessarily helpful at the time. 
Right. And we've all been in those meetings where we say, well, what do, what do you think people are thinking or feeling? And so it's like we make up how we assume. It's like, have we asked anybody? Yeah. You know, have we actually yeah. gone out and had conversations right. to know the audience? Right. And, and you know, the, a, 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 promo, a kind of a prominent viewpoint before was to pick a composite congregation, you know, uh, Willow Creek Wayne or whatever. <laughs> and he's 30 years old and he's got a $35,000 income and he's married five years and 2.3 kids or whatever. And I just think that does not work. I think that's some, sorry, sorry to all the giants out there who are awesome. <laughs> but I just think the minute we pick a composite mm-hmm. and we, we tailor our message toward one demographic, we are in trouble. I think then that's when you start to alienate a community of people who feel already that they don't fit. And so our message has to take in a wide diversity of viewpoints. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's helpful. Just, I love that you had people stand up, you know, people that were married 50 years and then married 30 years and whatever, and then all the way up and you had the single people stand up and then everybody else sit down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it for a couple of reasons. Number one, just like you said, I looked around and I was like, there are a lot of single people here. And for some reason, that surprised me. And mm-hmm. I felt kind of bad that it surprised me. Secondly, they were embarrassed. Yes. So many of them were hating you yes. for having them stand up all by themselves. A married person, I don't think could have done that. No. I don't think a married person could have isolated all the single people like that. No way. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were just looking around. They were looking at each other, you know, and their friends were, you know, sitting down next to them, looking up at them mm-hmm. like, oh, no, you like you stay standing, you know, and they... There was, and, and then I just thought, oh my gosh, why do they feel so bad? And then you kind of have this idea. And so you, you know, going from married to single, uh, have you kind of felt that shame in your own life? Why does it manifest itself, especially in the church? And really, what are some ways that maybe a listener listening to the podcast is going, well, shoot, I've never made a single person feel bad about being single. <laughs> what are some ways that's happened for you in your own life as you're kind of walking this out? Yeah, well, uh, probably the number one thing inside the church, at least, is just marriage series are hard. They're hard to go to. And I know that we have to preach on marriage in the church. It's such an important thing. But I know most single people check out during those times, usually literally, like, don't come to our church while we're doing a marriage series. So I I do think pastors need to count the cost of that wisely. Might that be better in a another setting than the whole, I don't know. But, um, the, so that's, that's a hard thing. You just feel funny. You feel like you're looking on and everyone's looking at you cause they know you're not married and they're not. I mean, we, we all tend to be self-obsessed inside our own, you know, thing, but that's a way. And then just the thing of, of couples it's it, you, I, I mentioned it in my message. Whenever I go out with all my couple friends who are wonderful, they never say, uh, honestly, my couple friends have never said a clunky thing to me about being single. They really haven't. But um, whenever we go to our cars afterwards and I go alone to mine, it's always that's always a tough moment where it's like, yes, lonely, but also you just feel sort of like you stand out, like you yeah. are not chosen. You're you're the one that didn't have a date. <laughs> it's, that, it's like valograms in seventh grade when they yeah. go sing to people in their class and nobody would ever come sing to me. So, <laughs> and, and maybe that's it. Like from, from childhood. The valogram, that's it? Yeah, the yeah, valogram is the, it. That's always the problem. <laughs> We've isolated something. <laughs> always comes back to the valograms. <laughs> uh, but I think as even as kids, there's this pressure to pair up, you know, mm-hmm. or to to – um, romanticize in the truest sense your life. And if you don't have that, it's almost like, you know, if you were to ask people, if you need to lose weight, stand up, you know, it's almost like right. this, 
this I'm not complete, I'm not right until yeah. I have a partner. There's no movie that ends with, and then they lived single happily forever, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of the responses on my Facebook had that idea of, I'm so glad I'm married because this person completes me, which is so romantic from a married perspective. But from a single perspective, it is saying you're incomplete. Right, until you're broken, yeah. Yeah, you don't have a better half. You mm-hmm. only have your inferior half of the, <laughs> from the universe. And that's it. those kinds of things we just have to be really, really careful about, that every time we make a comment about what we do have in our life, we have to be mindful of people who don't have that. And I think we have to affirm what they do have, which was something I mentioned. People don't like it when, when married couples lead with, are you dating anyone? That's their yeah. first question. Yeah. So you, you deliver this message on Mother's Day, and I was sitting there listening, thinking, such a bold move, and I love your courage to talk about sex on Mother's Day. Um, to, you Doesn't know. every church talk about <laughs> sex on Mother's I mean, Day? It's a Isn't kind of that a, what leads a to Mother's Day? No, ingredient no, of no, motherhood. <laughs> Only website. <laughs> um, so you talked about covenant, uh, covenant sex and the benefits of it uh, within marriage. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I got in trouble. Because you got in trouble. I got because a little bit of trouble. Because you told people how that you single it. people can I have sex. I told them, go do it, it, y'all. Just <laughs> I think that, see, you said they can have sex. You didn't say they may have sex. And I think that's I, a big difference. I just was so. talking biologically. I thought we all knew. No, I, I yeah, I, research even shows that the best kind of sex is is sex that is in covenant where we know we're together no matter what and so i i really agonized over how to frame that of course biblical perspective our theology says sex outside of marriage is not blessed by god and so let me say that definitively but uh, we've framed that as a rule for so long, and we've put it under the banner of true love waits and the, all of these things. And I think that when we do that, we make it look like bad behavior instead of like a bad recipe. It doesn't work. Mm. And if I make a recipe that doesn't work for my family and they all hate dinner, I'm not going to make it again because it's not successful. Right. And so for a whole group of people that are in our church checking out the claims of Christ and relationship with Jesus, I always want to frame things under the the banner of don't you want to live a flourishing blessed life but because it's listed as a commandment in the bible thou shalt not commit adultery then i think um, people want to put it in a list of rules and rules are made to be broken there's an adrenaline in the rule breaking process and what we want is to present an idea that that the way of Jesus works, the way of Jesus leads to life. So covenantal sex is a big ticket item in marriage. We want marriage married people to value it, but we also want single people to value it, to say, mm-hmm. oh, covenantal sex, that's the thing. That's the prize. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I was trying to not. I was trying to not say that <laughs> just go sleep with whoever you want. That is not my Well, and view. as I've been in youth ministry for a while, you were in youth ministry for a long time. And I think, especially with our young people, um, we've been guilty maybe of putting sexual, um, uh, you know, chastity on this pedestal that if you achieve that, then you're pretty much good. Yeah. And what I've seen is you have kids that maybe behave themselves really well in the area of sexual purity, but they're a mess everywhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this imbalance, especially with kids, but I think in general, this imbalance where sexual promiscuity versus chastity gets an unfair um, weight 
Yeah. Know, as far as the scope of everything that Christ has called us to and everything that, that we are. And I think the messaging can change a little bit. It can afford to change because just like you just said, I think a lot of times we, we want to attack you know, covenantal sex and the importance of it from this perspective of, well, God says it's a big no-no, yeah. um, which is true. But really what you just said, look at, maybe we should tell people, look, this is just a bad recipe. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work out. I, I think Andy Stanley says that if, if you live together before you're married, you're 75% more likely to end up to, to end up breaking up with that person. Mm-hmm. He said, so this isn't a Jesus thing living together before marriage. Yeah. He said, I can take the Jesus out of it and show you the stats and tell you, you are trying to fail in your relationship when you live together before you get married. So maybe that's part of the trick is we can change the message say, look, this, it's not only just not okay in God's kingdom, it just doesn't work if you want to do relationships well. Yeah. And we have to figure out how to, especially with young people, our sexuality is such a big piece of who we are. And when you're a married person, you know how to apply that. But as a single person, it's clunky. It's like, how do you carry that around? And the church has mostly just said, just d- ignore it, deny it. It's not there. Right. As long as you say no, 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 then you get to say the big yes and it's going to be good. But I think we've got to figure out a way to frame godly sexuality for single people um, in a way that's life-giving and not not quite so awkward and strange. Where do we start with that? I don't have what the do answer think? to that. <laughs> we, the people that want was, answers. That was not my message That's what this, this podcast is about. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's easy to make uh, marriage for some uh, for a virgin, like the finish line. or it, We build it up mm-hmm. like that. Like, yeah. congratulations, you made it to your wedding day as a virgin. And now all of your sexual fantasies will be fulfilled. You know, it's like, <laughs> but what if my sex life isn't good after I get married as a virgin? Right. Uh, you didn't tell me about this, yeah. you know? And I just think... Yeah. We've we've kind of screwed up. Or what if my life in general isn't perfect? (laughs) Well, and vice versa is true as well. That now I'm 51 and single, so I'm surrounded by a lot of other people who are single at my age, and it's remarkable how many really. Christ following single people at my age do not believe in abstinence because it was about virginity. Mm-hmm. It was about a wedding night oh, wow. instead of about purity. And so now I'm living in this community where it's like they don't they just they don't even see it as a thing anymore. And it is still to me the very same priority that it wow. was when I was single the first time. Um, but it it's a tough sell out there in this land where that again where that's such a big piece of who you are and you don't want to leave it to chance or leave it on the table. It's probably worth a good sermon sometime, Ben. I think you should start studying. Yeah, studying I'm going to preach that. that one. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah that, that that'll preach, great. buddy. <laughs> There's a reason I don't get paid the big bucks around here like you guys. Okay, that's your job. Wait, you get paid? <laughs> no idea. Yes, I know. They snuck it in there. So, uh, Bo, when you uh, stepped back into singleness with the death of your husband. Um, how has that changed your relationships with single friends now? Um, do you feel like you have more of an in, even like preaching this message, how has that uh, shaped kind of the way that you're able to help single people? I'm not totally sure because I can't see it from their side of it. From my side, I feel more credibility. I feel like I have more confidence and more empathy, even though, like I said, there are elements of their lives I don't understand any more than mm-hmm. I did before. But I feel – it, and it might just be because I've suffered – when you suffer, you have more credibility with someone who is in whatever other suffering there is. But I will say still with people who have never been married that I talk with, and there are many of them, I still feel that thing of like, yeah, you really don't 
you, you really don't know what I'm going through and where I've been. I really want to have kids and I really want to, you know, I, this all I've ever wanted to be is a mom. And so I, there, there are parts of that I really don't understand, but I do feel I have at least some credibility in terms of having to learn to live with loneliness. Mm-hmm. And stepping into a dating relationship mm-hmm. as a widow, how has that been? Because uh, there's so much, oh, gosh. so many eyes watching you yeah. as a pastor, as a, a public person. Yeah. Uh, you documented beautifully your entire journey with Steve, mm-hmm. uh, now dating, a lot of opinions flying. How do you deal with that? Well, that's, that's, I'd have had to learn to kind of not, not care too much what I always call them the cheap seats, what the cheap seats say. They're yeah. always going to have an opinion. So I really, I put four people in my life who I run everything through. They know every single bit of the story. They know all my heart as the relationship has been developing. And I decided, and they don't really know each other very well, the four people, but I decided unless it's unanimous between them, I don't move forward. Um, so I wanted to have accountability in that. It was too much. I mean, your heart's weird after you lose someone. It's weird anyway. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I had people weighing in that I care about and who care about me. But uh, beyond that, I've had to choose to love people but not not weigh their opinions very heavily. So that's been interesting. The other thing about dating at my age, when you're when you're 19, you've got – like a lot fewer, much fewer responsibilities and complications. And I mean, we have 10 kids between us and two careers and two cities and two churches, just so much between us. So there aren't the same complications when you're young, but there also isn't the same fruit of your life where you can kind of see what kind of parent, what kind of work ethic, what kind of... So some of that has been wonderful. And I think we can afford better dates than we could back when we were <laughs> 19. Kind of, I, I mean, there's <laughs> that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to yeah. both sides of it. Have but... you had any negative feedback? Have you had sure. anybody come up and go like, whoa, Bo, too fast. What are you doing? You know, you need to slow down or anything like that? Yeah, sure. I've had negative feedback. Um, not as much as I expected. Oh, so that's, that's cool. Um, but mostly I try to lay the groundwork well going into it that, hey, I'm I'm learning to live this way. And I really have been a cautious person all my life. And I kind of saw my later, the last, the second half of my life as being a time where I wouldn't make mistakes anymore because I was so wise and so experienced. (laughs) And now I kind of feel like maybe it's the best time to make mistakes. I think, you know, it's like try some things and live an adventure and see what's out there. And so, yeah, I've had negative feedback and um, I've just... Uh, because I have people who love me and know the whole story and I have a good therapist because of all those things and I'm dating someone with a good therapist because of all those things mm. I felt I felt pretty solid saying I'm I don't know where this is going to go but yeah. I feel like I have enough leeway from Jesus to to give it a try. Do you have a good answer for the question of when to try again in relationships? Because I feel like this is for lots of people, not just people who have lost spouses, but people who got went through a bad divorce, bad breakup, whatever it is. Right. And I think a lot of people try to go out and say, this is when you can start dating again. It's a year, it's two years. It's Do you have a good question for when it's healthy to jump back in? I do. And I don't think people like it, but I still, I still think it's, I think it's good to have a year to process and to kind of get through some things. I, I do. Um, but I know I've, I have seen it work. I've seen people jump into something sooner. I read a statistic somewhere that, uh, women who are widowed remarry an average of five years later and men who are widowed remarry an average of eight months later. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think they can't cook. That might be part yeah, of it. Wow. Um, so, 
I think that's a little fast. Um, but I, yeah, the, I mean, of course there's no formula, but I really love it when people say, I want to take time to, again, unlearn who I was inside of that. I mean, you guys have been married and I mean, and still are. <laughs> yeah, you are right. Sure. Did yeah. anyone check this morning? Yeah. And so, you know how you learn things inside of a relationship and then all of a sudden you're in this place where, okay, who, who am I now? And I want people to decide that. And hmm. for, for divorced people, sometimes they come out of a relationship and their main criteria is not the last person, but they don't really know what is their criteria. What do they want? They know what they don't want, but what do they want and how will they have a relationship that looks different this time than mm. the last time. Yeah. And so I like people to do their research and their homework. I recommended resources this weekend because I just think we don't we take dating too lightly and we think there's no skill to it, but there is. There's plenty to know going in. Yeah. I remember a documentary or something on the Kennedys and the kind of treatment that Jackie Kennedy got once she um, was together with Onassis, right? Or, or, yeah. 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 And, and people throwing things at her in the street and screaming and – so there's there's just some sense of you just got to be courageous and know that this is my life and I, I have to live it publicly, yes, but yeah. at some point it's not about everybody's opinions. You know? Yeah, and I could I feel I could make everybody happier a certain way or I could be happy. And <laughs> right. so if I have to choose – and the thing is that the cheap seats catch up. They eventually are like, oh, okay, I'm sick of fighting that. I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm going to get on board. Because they, they, the they care about. infinitely less <laughs> about your life than you do. do. And so in the end, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, how much energy do you have to put into wishing somebody wasn't dating? I <laughs> I hope not much. I hope. You need to get a life if that's what you worry <laughs> yeah. about every day. Yeah. 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 So. Well, Bo, thank you so much. Um, we could probably talk about these issues and maybe we will. We'll have you back again the next time you speak on <laughs> singleness and marriage. Yeah, this and- is your job now, right? <laughs> This is my, we have a thing. whole department yeah. for this at West Side no, she's now. She's qualified. Awesome. This is well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a niche. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us at BehindTheMessage.org and join the conversation. We'll see you next week. 